Good morning. After worship like that, we remember, oh yeah, we serve a living God whose presence comes and fills our heart and our mind. Oh yes, God, your King always and forever. That's one wonderful thing about just 20 minutes of worship. Wonderful. If you are new with us, we have connection cards in the back of our seat. You can fill in the back of the seats. You can fill those out. There are two ways to give. We don't take up offering here online and in the on the back wall. Let's pray. No announcements. We're going to jump into the word. Lord, thank you so much again for your presence. Now, Lord, open up our hearts and our minds as we learn to be your disciples, as we learn to follow you, just like the first disciples did. Thank you so much for your word. We never take it for granted, not one part of it, but we study it, we look intently at it, we learn from it, for in it we see our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series, The Questions of a Disciple. The Questions of of a disciple. This is not limited to the 12. There were disciples in the Bible unnamed. We don't know who they were. We know that Jesus had the 70. We know that at his resurrection, he showed himself to 500. So you got at least 500 disciples there. So we have some that really wanted to be, some that wanted to follow him. And he said, wait, hold on. No, I want you to stay here. They were no less his disciple. They trusted in him. So let's turn in your Bibles today to Mark 10. Mark chapter 10, are your apps, or whatever you have. A familiar story, but usually it is told or preached from Mark and from Luke. This is the rich young ruler, and we're going to look at it in a different light from Mark. Matthew 19, this, this story is found in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and the book of Luke. Matthew 19 tells us that he was a young ruler, that he was young. Luke 18 tells us that he was a ruler, and all three tell us that he was wealthy. So here we are in Mark 10, 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to in, that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from, from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Mark's the only one who says that. Loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Well, that's the story. Let's see the backdrop and how this came to pass. Everyone's doing good in this big crowd electric scene except the, the 12 disciples because they've just been rebuked for not letting the kids come to Jesus. So they kind of are, are following Jesus with their head down. You know, when you get in trouble, you, don't, you, know, you just kind of fall a little farther behind Jesus, right? With your head down. Doesn't mean you're not following him. You just you want to be incognito. So the disciples got rebuked by Jesus. The kids are all over him. He's departing from that high family scene. There's, 
There's people everywhere. It's a very public kind of a thing. And someone comes in, runs in. you got to see this picture. One came running, knelt before him, and asked, Stop the show. I need to talk to you right now. Lots of people did this in Jesus' life, right? There were lots of interruptions. If you're going to serve the Lord, there's going to be lots of interruptions. If you don't want interruptions, go live in a cave. That's the only place there's not going to be interruptions, right? They were, Jesus was always interrupted in, in wherever he was going, whatever he was doing. One came running, knelt before him, and asked very publicly. I mean, this is big time. This is, I, Jesus, I'm going to throw myself at your feet. It seems to be making a bit of a scene um, that seems to be the picture. Everyone had to stop what they were doing. You've got some notes there. Let's look at this. So he's going to throw himself at Jesus' feet, and Jesus is going to do something. Number one in your notes. God holds us accountable to our public proclamations. This is a very public proclamation. This is, I understand you were with the kids. I know you're going, headed toward Jerusalem. But I need your full attention right now. And Jesus says, no problem. You're going to get my full attention. But we're going to have a conversation. And this throwing yourself down and kneeling at my feet, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you to that. You're not going to make a big show and then just do whatever you want. If you came in like this, boy, I'm going to bring you right to a fork in the road. And you're going to make a decision in your life. Right? This is very different than like the woman with the issue of blood who's just trying to touch. Very different than Zacchaeus who's sitting up in the tree, not trying to bother, just trying to figure out. This is a very different scene. So Jesus is going to bring him right to the carpet on this. You know, public proclamations, they matter. You know, this is why the Bible says teachers will be held in greater accountability. They'll be held at a higher standard because we're constantly doing what? I'm constantly making a public proclamation. So this point actually has nothing to do with any of you. It's just for me. So y'all pray for me. Y'all feel bad for me. Y'all, you know, read, pray scriptures over me, a fast, whatever. Public proclamations matter. And I'm always doing public proclamations. Now, if you're a Christian, you are too, right? If you're a husband, you are too. If you're a mom, you are too. And oh, to those precious little ones. If you're a Fill in the blank, worker, teacher, whatever. You're making those public proclamations. God holds us accountable, wonderfully accountable, lovingly accountable, but accountable. Let me show you this in history. Look at this picture right here. We know that picture. We had to look at that in history. All those guys with wigs on. The real painting of that is a 12 by 8. It's huge in the National Art Gallery. This is the signing of the Declaration of Independence. They all had to pin their name on it, which was treasonous. These were wealthy landowners. These men ruled the 13 colonies. They had great power and great wealth. This is a major public proclamation. This was a life-changing event for them. Most of them automatically were enemies of the state of England. It was a treasonous act and lost their land. It was taken by force. John Hancock, the famous, obviously signs it first and very large. This public proclamation changed the course of their life and cost them dearly. Now they knew the price and they were ready to pay it. They didn't pay it in perfection. These are, many of them are Christ followers, not every single one of them. They're not perfect men. They're mixed vessels. 
but understand that this public proclamation was a life changer for them and cost them dearly. I am so glad they paid that price. I'm glad. It rippled through time and history, the public proclamation, the best they understood the Word of God to follow it. It rippled it, changed the course of history. This public proclamation of surrender. So we have this throwing himself at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says, okay, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. He comes and he says, good teacher. That's not found uh, in the Bible anywhere else. Rabbis were not called good. Rabbis were very honoring. They didn't know Jesus as Savior, obviously, when he was on the earth. But even before, they were very honoring of the holiness and who God was, the nature of God. Rabbis weren't called good. Only God was called good or holy or righteous. So this, see, this guy seems to understand this is more than just a teacher. I don't know who he is, but he's, I think he's more than just Elijah, a prophet come. Maybe he kind of understood he was the Savior. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? Verse 18, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good. No one, no one is good but one. That is God. Jesus declares that men are sinful. It's called original sin, right? People always focus on Jesus loved and Jesus talked to, tried to help people. Yes, he did, absolutely. Jesus declares man is sinful. Man is broken. Man is wretched. There's none good but God. That's verse 18. Verse 19, Jesus begins to say the commandments. Now, if you look closely at your app or your Bible, whatever on the, uh, it's on the screen, look at those commandments. This is a tilted or weighted scale. These are only certain commandments. What are those commandments? They're only commandments dealing with what? With others. These are the commandments dealing horizontally. We can take the Ten Commandments and break them into two parts. Theologians call it two tablets. There's a couple different views. The most popular one is the first three commandments are you and God. Right? It's the triune view. No gods before me. No idols. Do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Your relationship with God are the first three commandments. Then the shift. The last seven commandments are this way. So Jesus brings him and says, you've obeyed and followed this all your life. You've done this. The guy goes, yes, I have done this to the letter of the law. I've done it this way but he's missing this way. In fact, Matthew adds, love your neighbor as yourself. As I said last week, Matthew was written for the Jews. Matthew adds, love your neighbor as yourself, because when the Jews heard that, they're like, I'm supposed to love these Nazi Romans, love these Samaritans who can't read their Bible straight and understand the word of God and say everything's backward and wrong. I'm supposed to love those people. So these are the two parts, and Jesus focuses only, he, he speaks only of the horizontal, and then he brings him to the vertical. Let's keep looking here. Verse 21, Mark 10. The guy says, 
Verse 20 says, I've kept all these from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. This is a beautiful picture of loving correction, of loving discipline, of loving call. It's not a rebuke. It's a come. It's a beautiful picture. You know, I often think about when someone says something wrong to me, and I know it's wrong. You with me? And you know it's wrong, either when that little kid does, or that person who never read their Bible, but they're going to tell you about the Bible, or they don't know Jesus, but they're going to tell you all about it, and they come to you and they say, blah, 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 and you're like, I wonder, and I've struggled with this, is the look I have on my face of love. (laughs) What's the look Jesus had on his face? Looking at him, he loved him. He said it wrong. He thinks he kept the law. He didn't listen to the Sermon on the Mount, apparently. So you don't have to be a murderer. you got to have murder in your heart, and you're a murderer. You, you, you think you've kept these. We haven't even dealt with the holiness of God. But I'm looking at you with love. Oh, it's convicting scripture for me. This is why. How many of you have a highly expressionative face? You just, yep, yeah. <laughs> you... When everybody knows when you're happy and when you're mad, right? It's real. My, my kids, I watch them. If I'm talking to them and I see them react, I know the look on my face is no bueno. It's no good. I'll watch them shut down. I haven't yelled yet. I haven't done anything. I just turned because of whatever silliness, whatever thing I'm repeating for the 10th time. Jesus didn't do that. Oh, he was totally wrong. And he looked at him with love. Number two on your notes. Love gives influence to speak into others' lives. You want influence? I want influence? I need to see someone say something dumb or mean or half thought out or said it wrong and look at them and truly Still look at them with love. This is hard to be a disciple. Questions of a disciple, this is hard. But it's wonderful. I'm not leaving Jesus. We're going to follow him. We're going to be like our Savior. Love Love gives influence to speak into others' life. Not great leadership, although Jesus was the perfect leader. Not booming voice. None of those things produce the influence that love produces, right? Is in fact, even someone who's lost or in this secular world, they will still say love is the supreme ethic, right? They'll still agree. It is the supreme ethic. Watch this influence here in 1 John. 1 John 3.1. Behold... Think about this. Imagine, look upon this. Behold, you're not going to believe this. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that it influenced us in such a powerful way through the cross that we can be called children of God. Oh, what influence. What amazing influence. Two weeks ago, we did uh, the first... Uh, art camp with the kids here. You know, the new church, it's hard to do all these things. We have some great people, volunteers 
who, who did it. And one of the volunteers, uh, she is mild-mannered. She is not an outgoing personality. She is reserved. More than once, I said, you can't put the mic here. I'm about to blow the speakers right here. And you would see it sing. But I'm going to tell you, on the last day, she came up and presented the gospel in the sweetest little voice, just read the story of the gospel and talked to those kids and just with such love, not a booming voice, not amazing oratory skills, could barely get her, get her to speak loud enough. And I watched. I had a bird's eye view. I got to be in the back instead of the front. That's a lot. I like it back there. I watched those kids open. I watched the gospel. They open hearts. We, 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 we sow seed, right? We, we're liberal about it. If it's God, make it good. We pray for good seed, but God is the one who makes it grow. We just sow it. We work. We work. That's what we do. That's our, that's our calling. And I watched those kids hang on her every cracking little word. Why? It wasn't great knowledge, ability, skill. It was love. Now, this is the wonderful thing. You do not have to have great abilities to do great things for God. Amen? It gives us responsibility, too. You're not exempt. Oh, well, that's a pastor's job. Oh, well, that's this person's job. Well, I'm quiet. Well, I'm at... No, we are all disciples. We're all following him, and we all have influence because we can love. Come on. Amen. All right. Enough of that. Let's keep going here. Okay, we're going to look at verse 21, and we're going to have to look at the middle of verse 21 for point three. Then we're going to look at the beginning and the end of 21 for point four. So I'm not skipping. So, you know, so we're going to look at the middle. Let's read all of verse 21 here. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. Let's first, for point three, focus on, and you will have treasure in heaven. The scripture has been abused, misused for personal gain, for uh, campaigns for money. The point of this scripture is Christ's calling him to a, a following discipleship. The point of this scripture is surrender and lordship, not money. Surrender and lordship is always the point. It just happened to be money in this case. It could be other things, right? Didn't Jesus say it could be family, right? Could be country, it could be all these different things. It just happens to be in this with this guy. And you will have treasure in heaven. Do you know that this is a repeated theme over and over throughout all the, the New Testament? And you will have treasure in heaven, right? Think about all the scriptures. All, all, they're all over the place. We'll read a couple in just a minute. And you will have treasures in heaven. He's not actually asking him to leave everything. That's not what he's doing. What's he saying? Number three on your notes. Disciples never lose possessions. They only transfer them. Does he say, follow me and you'll lose everything? What does he say? 
get rid of that stuff. It's weighing you down right now. And I'm going to give you, you're just transferring. I'm going to give you treasure in heaven. This is a theme throughout all the Bible. Disciples don't lose. We never lose. We just transfer. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, a surrender issue. Not a go live as a pauper. Have a job. Praise God. Proverbs says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And then one more, Mark 9. The reason it's not about all his possessions and it's about his heart is right here, Mark 9, 41. For whoever gives you a cup of water, that is not worth much. That's not worth a whole lot of money. A cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ. Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. A reward for a cup of water? I give you this. It's just a transfer into the kingdom of God. Disciples never lose. They just transfer. All right, now let's look at the beginning and the end of 21. On your notes, right underneath, I did some dot, dot, dots. One thing you lack, take up your cross and follow me. This is a very pungent statement based on his very public proclamation. So Jesus says, one thing you lack, take up your cross and follow me. One thing you lack, you got some selfishness issues, right? There's a hindrance between us. You've got a God between us. Take up your cross. The Roman mode of torture in that time sent chills down everyone's spine. Of course it would. That was a statement that could make him afraid. He was rich ruler. He is not going to be a ruler without being in good relationship with the people who are in charge, right? So that means your relationship to Rome, it's got to change. Take up your cross, follow me. That's a statement of love. Number three on your notes. Oh, excuse me, number four on your notes. Most decisions are based in these three things. Every day. This is the way we're functioning. It's going to be based out of selfishness, fear, or love. You can put love slash faith if you like that better. These are the decisions daily that make up our whole life, right? You are sum total of your decisions. Selfishness, fear, or love. He's bringing his disciple to a place where the decisions of selfishness and the decisions of fear must die at the crossroads of the words of Christ. He's bringing him, saying, listen, if you'll take this step toward me, your life of selfishness and moreover, your life of fear will end right here. Now follow me. 
That's, oh, gee, only Jesus, only God can do that, right? Only Jesus can just say a few words and says, right here, you'll die and come live with me and for me. Let's look at verse 22. We round third base here. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was sad at this word, the word of the words of Christ. He was sad at this word. I began to think about this. He hears the words of Christ. Of course, always to follow him will cost you something. It costs you everything. Praise God. In me, there is no good thing. Thank you so much, God, for taking all this out of me and letting me serve you. What an honor it is, Lord. But his, the words of our, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. I began to think about this. Ugh. And then I began to think about my disobedience in my life. The times in my life. No one bats a thousand, right? Y'all been there? The times in my life I was disobedient to the words of Christ. I thought, what did that produce in me so I could understand what it produced in this man walking away? The Bible says sad. You're like, oh, it's bigger than that. Lastly, on your notes, number five. Disobedience is the anguish of humanity. Isn't it? Oh, the feeling you have in disobedience, in sin, it's not only the anguish. I think it's the misery, the sorrow, despair, torment, grief, distress, pain, and agony. Oh, it's all of those things. And as a disciple, I don't want any of them. Therefore, O oh God of heaven, can I be obedient to the words of my Savior? I don't want pain and anguish. And it functions in the lost and saved. In us, it grieves us because we're His. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit in it. Sin and disobedience just uh, it makes us sick to our very stomach. In the lost, they live in it and they're eternally separated without Christ. And their anguish and their torment and their torture is eternal. With us, it's temporary through the mercy and blood of Jesus. And when we come and we repent, for the unrepented, the ones without Christ, it is eternal. And that makes me want to proclaim Jesus to everyone. The feeling I get in disobedience that comes and goes when it comes under the blood, they will have eternally. Therefore, I preach the gospel, not only on this pulpit, but, oh God, in my daily life. Amen. Because I don't want that horrible, anguished feeling. And I want to proclaim it to my wife, children, and all those around me. Well, let's stand up. Spend some time with Jesus. Let's... Let's get back in the presence of the Lord. That's the wonderful thing about God. We can just bow our heads. We so enjoyed his presence earlier. It's not like he just leaves after worship. 
That's a bad church member, and he's a great church member. The Holy Spirit just sit in his presence. I ended early. This is the best time you'll spend on this earth. going to spend a few minutes in worship. Like I said, I ended early. You can turn the lights back down. David's going to lead us in a, some worship. Oh, and you just see that crowd there. All those disciples there. This is just the first half of the story. There's a second. But look at this man. Desirous. He, he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to obey. He wants to know the freedom that is in Christ. He knows he's more than man, but he has to decide, is he God or very God? Will he keep me? Will he protect me? Is he greater than Rome? Is he greater than my possessions? Is he greater than my personal abilities? This young ruler rose to power. The young don't rise to power, but he did. Do I give him my abilities? Is he greater? Oh, yes. Just a few minutes, we're going to worship the Lord. And then we'll come and close. You and Jesus. Let him speak to you. He's speaking to you guys. Let him speak. crossroads of life just like this man and you need the Lord to speak to you you need the Lord to speak to you oh God how I need the Lord 
God who speaks. He is a God who speaks. And if it's two words, he'll say, follow me, and it will be enough. As we continue in worship, if you need prayer for that specifically, at a crossroads in life, you can come up for prayer. Let's continue to worship.
let's all thank the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Very God of very God, of the same substance, co-equal, co-eternal, thank you for being with us, for ministering to us as your children. Thank you for the comfort, the peace, the direction, the truth that you bring when you come. We don't take it for granted. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you that no one in this house is leaving you without direction and comfort from the Holy Spirit. Direction and comfort from the Holy Spirit. For you alone, O oh God, bring it. Well, we're going to close with a scripture. In Galatians 2.20, it's one of my favorite. It is this proclamation. I'm going to pray it. You agree. When I end, you say Amen. You are not a disciple who gets to the face of Jesus and turns back. Oh, no, you are not among those that shrink back and fall away. No, no, no. No, you're not. This is who we are. This is who we are. I hope that this young man changed his mind. Remember, this is before the cross. He may have come to the cross of Jesus. We don't know. We'll find out in heaven. But this is who you are. If you have come under the covenant of Jesus Christ, this is who you are. If Christ is your Savior, this is who you are. So let's pray it. You can look at it or close your eyes, however you want to do it, but this is the way we'll end. I'm going to pray it over you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, who looked at me with love in my mistakes, in my failures, in my weakness. He looked at me with patient love, the love of the Father, the love of eternity. He looked at me with love, who loved me and gave himself for me. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Let's give him a hand. Praise him.